This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89FM. My name's Andrew Graham. We've got a pretty interesting show today. I talked to Al Hargrave and Heather Brothers, both Eli reporters, about the city's resumption of work and their specific coverage. So we talked a little bit about school board and the Independent Police Oversight Commission. Uh, basically, the city of East Lansing canceled most public meetings through the month of January and into early February due to the Omicron surge of COVID-19. As such, only city council is meeting. School board continued to meet because they are not under the purview of the sort of city hall to have their meetings canceled or rescheduled. That is up to them. So they continue to meet. And this week, however, on Valentine's Day, February 14th, city meetings resumed, including school board met again and the Independent Police Oversight Committee met for only the third time and the first time in 2022 and got to a decent bit of business. So first, we're going to get into things with Heather about that, and then later on, we'll talk to Al about school board and some moving parts with COVID, and just get a general overview of some of the business that's starting up again in the city of East Lansing. So without further ado, here's Heather, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. I'm joined now with Eli reporter Heather Brothers, who covers the East Lansing Independent Police Oversight Commission, IPOC. That's correct, Heather? Yep. Yep. Good to, good to be here. So you covered the Police Oversight Commission meeting on this past Monday, Valentine's Day, February 14th. Yes. And it was their first meeting of 2022, I believe their second ever meeting or third? Third. Third. And it was pretty eventful in the ways we might have expected it to be. There was a lot of discussion about transparency of information, getting you know police complaints and things like that, and some news to come out of it, but I guess first things first, Heather, I wanted to ask you, you've attended these meetings now. What are they, what's the, what are they kind of like? I know they probably follow Robert's rules and move a lot like a city council meeting in terms of call to order, public comment, so on and so forth. But what's the, what, what happens in the sort of normal police oversight commission meeting, so to speak? Like what's the, what's the vibe? Um, kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, this time they moved them to the executive conference room on the second floor of Hannah. So it was a much bigger space and everyone was a lot further apart. So this meeting was a little bit different. And I think it was harder for people to hear each other with masks on. But in general, I mean... I have been to a fair share of city meetings at this point, and they seem this commission in particular seems to hop around the agenda a bit more to be a little less formal with um, following things in an exact order, right? If something comes up, they might say, oh, that's, you know, item 6.2, let's just talk about it now. That kind of stuff right. happens. And I think uh, a lot of the commissioners are really new to the uh, this meeting setting. So not everyone understands the rules about making motions and seconds and stuff. So uh, like the staff liaison, Shelley Newman, helps them with that. Um, and like Kath Edsel is really experienced at meetings like this. So she has a lot of knowledge about how they should function. So she's a really big help. Gotcha. And so one of the big issues and something that's, it it's frankly been a problem since the 
study committee to form this oversight commission existed of. I don't think that the overall issue is... I don't think any of the commissioners would say that ELPD has just stonewalled them. You know, they've gotten information, but it's it's kind of always a bit uphill and it's they're always having to ask follow-ups and hey can we get this and it's just it's never easy it's never straightforward and that kind of came a little bit to a head at this most recent meeting do you kind of can you take me through it sure so i i mean it came up in a few different ways but i think the main kind of uh crux of this was their um elpd does a complaint report summary of the, the past year so this is the first meeting in 2022 so they were supposed to have their complaint summary for 2021 ready. And it was ready, but it was not attached to the public agenda. And it still isn't uh, as of, of recording. Um, Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, mid-afternoon on Tuesday. Right. So it was made available to people in, in the public that attended the meeting. So I have a hard copy of it, but it wasn't made available to anyone ahead of time from the public. So there was someone who came to public comment to ask why. And one of the new commissioners, Chris Root, who was just appointed this year, uh, already had a motion to discuss this and why this information wasn't attached to the agenda. And the city said, you know, sometimes this information isn't shared until the meeting itself based on things being too confidential or just that's not how it functions always. Uh, But Chris made a motion to say, like, no, for the March meeting, all things on the agenda need to be attached and made public so people can read them ahead of time so they can show up to public comment, right? Because I think the commission itself is struggling a bit with some of these uh, like housekeeping issues. They haven't really talked about, um, you know, they didn't talk about the complaints. They haven't talked about the use of force incidents because they're still struggling to get all of the information they want. And then when people get it just at the meeting, it's hard to, you know, discuss immediately, right? The public didn't have time to comment right. on this. Well, it almost seems like I know part of their charge and specifically in the ordinance for the oversight committee is they have to hold, I believe, one meeting a year specifically designed to solicit public comment Correct. and get public mm-hmm. input. And so that's it's a very specific sort of charge to that board and commission not to say they all don't want the public to you know, offer feedback, but they have a very specific charge to. So I think there's a sort of grassroots is not quite the right word, but a very innate desire with that group to ensure that they're not talking at a meeting with a set of information that the people sitting in the meeting aren't privy to. Right. When, whenever possible. Exactly. Yeah. They're very focused on public feedback and public engagement. And I mean, this was a, a, an example of how that doesn't work if the public doesn't have that information until, you know, we're sitting in the meeting room and public comment is over. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a problem. And so basically the, the outcome of this is at their March meeting, the next meeting of the Police Oversight Commission should be available, correct? Yes. Uh, so the summary report for 2021 will be attached for the March meeting or is supposed to be attached. Also, uh, in my hard copy that I have, there are, in the complaints, there are some mentions of other attached items that weren't provided to the commission at all. So Chris, Chris's motion also wants those attachments available too. Right. Basically the, 
the full picture of whatever's being submitted as a complaint, not just the complaint itself. Exactly, exactly. And so um, part of the, the issue of this is, you know, this is their first meeting in 2022. It's already February, and we do have the 2021 reports, but now they're not going to be discussed until March. So, you know, because they need all the information, the public right. needs a chance. So, yeah, so it's the timeline keeps getting pushed because of these issues. I wanted to ask you about that sort of, I think the, the crux of this here too, is all of all of what the commission's trying to do, I think in terms of getting this information is so that they can, I think, feel comfortable that they're fairly and openly both for the public and frankly for the police that they are overseeing, getting the fullest information possible and that they don't, I guess their desire to not want to begin on the sort of actual oversight before having the process of information flowing first has in some ways kind of gotten us to this point like there's kind of a backup at this point i guess is the way i would phrase it it's like they're gonna be looking at what 14 months worth of complaints basically yes yeah and we'll use the forest too from last fall so they have those right. reports to still go over and those are just coming out right like every month there's another use of force report right. so those just and those are, those are publicly available via ELPD, we should add. Right. And um, yeah, that came up at the commission too, is I think that, well, some people for sure are very data driven and they really want as much information uh, from the police as they can get. Like, so obviously like racial demographics, like the officers that are accused of, um, like the, uh, are, have complaints against them, uh, where these officers work in the city, like what sector uh, they're assigned to. So there was some discussion of this, and that's been happening for three meetings now, and they're still, you know, not settled on exactly what information they want. Like, so they have definitely um, given this information to the police in the fall and said, like, hey, we want more information on these reports, right? We want more details. And the police have definitely come through on that uh, to some degree, for sure. Uh, I can see that in the 2021 complaint report, there's a really detailed explanations here about each complaint, right? Not everything. And the commission might want more information on certain ones, but the police have definitely provided more detail than they had at first. So I think they're trying to also respond to the requests that the commission's making. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's a lot of information and uh, they're trying to get on the same page with like, okay, we want X, Y, and Z to ask for so they can make spreadsheets and have things um, mapped out to look for trends and things like that. Yeah. That kind of brings me to another point of this is almost part of the, I guess, it's deeply fascinating to me. And I think it's frankly very important is one of the interesting sort of subjects that comes up in this whole thing is police record keeping. basically. Mm -hmm. And so far as we can tell, I, I, I from where I sit, it, it appears that the Oversight Commission, if nothing else, will be a major driver of ELPD having sort of a, their house in order in terms of knowing what all of their officers have been doing and having a, you know, not that they don't, but having a sort of a database of here of all the times we've done X, here are all the times we've done Z, here we can see what are the commonalities of all the times we're pulling people over. That just didn't exist and you know, still probably does not to a full extent. And I know they're talking about building and buying new databases and software system, but it's been very, I guess, jarring to me to see the sort of 
mishmash of record keeping that's done on the police side of things because that's kind of where all this information comes from is Mm -hmm. basically just police records yeah and i think absolutely the commission is uh, forcing elpd to kind of rethink and reshape how they keep track of this stuff we saw in some of the reports from the past two years based on like racial demographics in terms of people who are stopped who are arrested uh, with the police, we saw that the categories of race that the police were using to classify people were sh- changing every year. So it was hard when we got that data to, you know, put it all together because the categories weren't even lining up, right? Yeah, you can't even make a clear year-on-year comparison with that. Exactly. So, I mean, in our reporting, we had to kind of say, like, well, these are the categories they gave us. And I think that it can be kind of a mutually symbiotic relationship between the commission and the police to get these things tightened up. Uh, so there are these like stricter categories of like, of what kind of information they keep track of for their officers. So the commission can understand it. And then also the police can benefit from also having that same kind of long-term data uh, that's been, right. that's going to be tracked better than it has been. Right. And at least, I mean, even if it's not, even if you're not tracking or sort of analyzing the data that comes just, keeping it better and in sort of clearer format. I think anybody who's kept large amounts of information will tell you that will benefit you in the long run. Oh, yes. So. As someone uh, finishing a dissertation, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say I've been there. And I don't know that I ever want to go there. Don't do um, it. <laughs> so you, you obviously went to the meeting and I didn't. Is there anything that you think we should uh, should let the listeners know about? Anything that I didn't ask about? Well, I think there are, um, so a lot of the stuff they are still doing are, are things I would call like housekeeping. So they had to re-elect um, their chair and vice chair. So Eric Williams became chair again, and Chris yep. Root uh, took over vice chair from Kath Edsel. Kath nominated Chris. And so they have a kind of a new administration, seems like the wrong word, chairs anyways. They're designing their website. The The city has already kind of mocked some things up for them. And then last night they went through like what will work and what they'd like changed. They're also um, talking to a reporter from the state news who wants to do kind of a public forum for them. And so the, that's just something kind of on the back burner for now, because you're right, they do have to do these kind of uh, once a year, this public engagement, public forum to get feedback. So that could be, you know, this, their year they're one for this year anyways. The chief of police, Kim Johnson, was there to introduce himself uh, to the commission and speak a bit about uh, how he feels the relationship between ELPD and the commission will work. And he said that he really wants their feedback on his policies and stuff like that. So he was there. Yeah. Oh, they also, one interesting thing. So we've talked a bit in our reporting about early warning systems so these are kind of uh, a technology thing. I'm I'm so terrible at <laughs> these kind well, of they terms. Kind of build off the databases, like we were talking yes, about. Yes, yeah. Be, it's almost a system a that system, it sort of yes. self analyzes, and it can notice. You know, if someone if there is a concerning trend, it can notify you to it, and then you can go sort of suss out: is that trend because of an actual problem, or is it some I, you know, like statistical variance, and just like be more mindful, like. I can't say I know the specifics of it, but it, that's sort of my understanding of what it is. Yes, yeah. So um, exactly right. And this can help the police track officer behavior, you know, to see if someone is uh, consistently involved in excessive use of force 
or if someone is having like a mental health struggle, things like that. So it, it can benefit everyone in the community if, if these things function properly. And the East Lansing Police Department just started using theirs on uh, the first of this year. So it's brand new. And uh, they are contracted through Guardian Tracking. And the commission discussed last night, you know, if they should hear a presentation on how the system functions. Kim Johnson was also speaking about how it's a, a learning curve for ELPD to figure out how exactly the system itself works and that they're all kind of working to become familiar with it so they can use it properly. And uh, Eric Williams, the chair, suggested that maybe the commission also hear from Guardian Tracking about how these things are supposed to work so they have an understanding too. So that's something that might come down the pipe later this year. Well, you'll surely be on it. I'm just imagining the printer from Office Space, but (laughs) that's a movie even before my time. Well, that's kind of all we have time for on this. Heather, this was a very fascinating discussion and I think a good little way for people to you know, maybe more than dip their toes back into the Police Oversight Commission as they get their work going again in 2022. So, Heather, thank you again for joining me. Anytime. Once again, thank you to Heather Brothers for coming on and talking about the Independent Police Oversight Commission. You can find her coverage of this most recent meeting and really all the meetings in the study committee to form the commission on EastLansingInfo.News. Tons of good stuff about the police and Police Oversight Commission there if you want to read more. Now we are going to get joined by Al and talk about school board. I'm joined now with Eli's Al Hargrave, who covered school board this Monday on Valentine's Day. Al, thank you for taking your, your holiday to cover school board, and thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. The big item at school board this week, I think, obviously was the Ingham County has pulled back their mask mandate, which basically means EL Public Schools is now in a position where they can pull back their mask mandate, and I know that came up at the meeting on Monday. Can you just take me through what happened with that discussion and sort of where the schools are headed on that? Yeah, so um, they are rescinding those emergency orders that require universal masking in public institutions, educational institutions, and so now they get to decide if Uh, it's at their own discretion to have a mask mandate. And they just kind of had a discussion, a preliminary discussion about it. I don't think that they're going to make a formal announcement until February 19th. Um, So we can expect to hear something before or by then. But every school board member, you know, went around and took turns telling everyone what their opinion was. And every school board member would like to keep masks um, and um, Superintendent Dory Laco mentioned that regardless of what decision they make, she would like to reevaluate that decision again after sp- the weeks after spring break. So that would be around mid-April. Um, so yeah, so it sounds to me like you know everyone echoed the the idea of keeping masks, um, but again, a formal decision won't be announced until February nineteenth. So I guess I'm, I'm curious to dive in a little more to the sort of specific opinions, because I know there's obviously a certain contingent of people who would like, you know, mask mandates to not be a thing anymore. And I'm sure, as was evidenced by the board members themselves, that there is also a very strong contingent of people who, you know, children are vaccinated, not all children can be vaccinated, keeping teachers protected, you know, all of the, all of the reasons we would 
require people to wear masks in public places. So it seems like there's kind of a strong contingent either way. There's probably fair arguments either way. Can you kind of, I guess, can you kind of take me through the, what, what were the board members' rationale for why they would like to maybe keep masking, at least maybe through spring break? So I think a lot of them expressed their appreciation to East Lansing Public Schools for following the science and listening to recommendations. I feel like that was kind of the tone of, we should keep these because the CDC still does recommend masking inside educational institutions. Um, so um, I, I know one board member mentioned that it's a no-brainer to keep masking, and another one said that they were thinking of a situation in which, or a time in which they would think that no longer masking is applicable, but that they couldn't think of that ever happening. Um, so it sounds like a few of them would like to continue masking indefinitely from from that sentiment. And then um, others think that, you know, following the science, as long as we're following CDC recommendations and um, continuing to do that is what should be happening. They did say that they're all very aware that they're not going to please everyone. It sounds like they've gotten lots of emails um, and some communication from community members and family about, you know, an array of opinions, and uh, they understand that they won't be able to please everyone. And so it's going to be a hard decision either way. It sounds like they're taking everyone's opinions and everything very seriously. So that was good to hear. And um, I did appreciate, and I think others appreciated, uh, Superintendent Laco saying that, it, you know, it doesn't matter, they should reevaluate again in, right. in mid-April just to make sure that they're continuing to listen to everyone. And that it's actually, I suppose, that it's working because right. whatever decision they make, there's, I guess, presumably going to be some knock-on effect that they're able to, to gauge and the COVID situation at this point is still very dynamic. And I guess by April, it might be looking like last summer again and everything's sunshine and rainbows kind of. But yeah. I think that makes sense. You mentioned some board members were comfortable kind of going on indefinitely. I've I've thought about that a little bit. This, this gets to a bit of a broader society thing, but I'll bring it back of like, you know, for flu outbreaks as they happen and something like that, should, you know, we be maybe more open to masking. Is that kind of the vibe you got or more just until we're certain COVID's not an issue anymore, we should be on the side of sort of caution and wearing masks? Yeah, that's what I understood. Um, they it. were, they yeah, they were echoing that and saying, you know, why not continue doing what's working? And just until we know it's safe. Yeah, that yeah. Makes, that that yeah. makes sense. I just want to make sure. I was like, S sorry, I said that. Yeah. I wanted to make sure because I was like, that's I assume they yeah. mean in the world of COVID. That uh, yeah, that's kind of what I took it to mean, but I just wanted to clarify there, and then. What else? I know this is COVID is kind of the big thing. It's been a big thing at the school board meetings for many months now. What else got discussed at this meeting? Because I know that wasn't the only thing that came up and there is other school business that got got dealt with. Yeah, so I think the most exciting thing that the whole room was excited about was the new Black American History course that just got approved. Um, so it sounds like a committee has been working on creating that course and pushing it through for a long time. And so it, you know, officially got the thumbs up and it's going to start being offered to juniors and seniors. It sounds like as early as next fall. Um, so I think that that's really cool. Um, everyone was very excited about that. There were, there were claps and woot woots as soon as that got approved. They also talked about um, 
principal Andrew Wells retiring. So, um, you know, we reported on that and he's set to retire this June. So Superintendent Laco mentioned that they are opening a, a position to, to fill that as soon as July. And they also, uh, we had the assistant superintendent get up and give a presentation about standardized testing. Ah, standardized testing, everybody's favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted to go back to the, the Black American History course briefly, <laughs> mostly because I'm a little fascinated, but is that something that, I, I, on the face, I kind of get the gist of there's probably a significant portion of Black American history, American history pertaining to Black people that is not taught or is worth being taught in public schools. Is that going to be an elective history course? Is that I'm just kind of curious how that fits in the curriculum. I know you might not have the full picture of it yourself, but I'm just kind of curious to learn more about that. No, I um, I did hear. So it, it is going to be um, an elective class. It's an, a one-year elective class for juniors okay. and seniors. I, I believe they still have to fulfill that history credit with you know two others, or I'm not exactly sure, but it, it is an elective. Them. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Okay, that's very interesting. Might try and go sit in on a class. If that yeah. Fascinated. Yeah. Um, is there anything else I didn't I didn't get to? I obviously did not attend the meeting. This is why we, <laughs> why we bring you on with your expertise. One more thing I was going to mention about COVID nineteen and the the masking update is that um, if a district chooses not to do universal masking, then they lose the test to stay program, and that program allows. Um, students and staff, anyone who's been exposed to COVID-19 to test to stay in school. If they test negative, they continue going to school instead of just quarantining. But if a district chooses to not universally mask, then they no longer have that option. And that's a, is that a state level program? I, or it's, um, it's with federal money through the state? It's a, it's a unit of government above yeah, I can't accurately answer that I know that. So um, yeah, I, that I yeah. Though. So basically yeah. kind of the, the test to remain is tied to having right. know, acquiring masks. And that, well, I suppose if you got rid of masks, it would just become a drain on testing. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, but yeah, you know, I think that's it. Cool. I'm glad you, uh, you got to come on to this. I'm glad city meetings have finally started back up and we, we have something to do again. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you for coming on, Al, and uh, dishing out about school boards. This was a very, very interesting conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Al and Heather for coming on and talking today about their beats and their uh, recent coverage. You can always read more from them and all of Eli's reporters at eastlansinginfo.news. One last thing I want to get to before we get out of here is City Council also met this Tuesday, a discussion-only meeting. They continue to meet throughout the citywide Omicron pause, but this meeting was Worth mentioning, uh, there wasn't a a huge amount done. It was a discussion-only meeting. The main bit of discussion centered around marketing and trying to sell a property in the northern tier of the city, and it actually turned into a pretty interesting discussion about what the city wants to see and making sure development is more thought out and connected and not maybe as haphazard. So there's a report from me on that on eastlansinginfo.news, and you can also go back and watch the city council meeting. I always recommend you do. I just wanted to mention that because that was a, a bit of an interesting discussion and another story you will find on eastlastinginfo.news. That's all we got, folks. That's all we got time for. I thank you all again for listening. Thanks again to Heather and Al for coming on and dishing on their beats. This has been another edition of the East Lansing Insider brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89 FM. 
I'm Andrew Graham, and thank you for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.